Should you stand up on a motorcycle? And if so, why would you stand and when would you do it? And if you're going to stand, exactly how do you do it and feel confident? For those riders asking these questions and maybe the ones that find themselves standing sometimes but automatically sitting down at the first sign of trouble, today's episode of Adventure Rider Radio's exclusive rider skills is for you. Clinton Smout is back to talk about standing, the whys, the hows, the whens, as well as bike setup for standing, and a bunch of tips that if adopted and practiced till you're comfortable, will make you a higher skilled rider. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. It's wind pressure that powers the Moto Breeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Products is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com. No doubt you've seen riders stand up on their foot pegs, but why would someone do that? What are the advantages of standing on your foot pegs? Some riders claim that standing raises your center of mass or gravity, and that makes you less stable. Well, today on our exclusive rider skills segment, Clinton Smout, chief instructor for Smart Adventures, will answer all these questions and many more, as well as throw in a few stories. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Clinton, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Hi, Jim. Glad to be here. Now, the summer is rolling on and you must be extremely busy at the school. Yeah, yesterday was a really fun day. We had 45 people come visit us. And because it was a weekday, they weren't at their job. Their job is teaching people how to ride motorcycles for street use. And then they test them at the end of a two-day weekend course. So predominantly, none of them had ridden off-road, but were very accomplished street riders. And what's fascinating is all of us develop habits in our riding. And as you know, sometimes street riding habits don't transfer well to sand, gravel, mud, hills. Mm-hmm. So it was a really fun day trying to get them <laughs> to relax 
and maybe open their minds and try something a little different. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, I opened up the morning by telling them, you know, last night we had ham for supper. And I asked my wife, why do you cut the ends of the ham off before you put it in the oven? And she said, you know, that's a good question. My mom always did that. So she phoned her mom and her mom said, you know, that's a good question. My mom always did that. (laughs) So she phoned grandma. Do you know what grandma said, Jim? No. She she had a small pan. (laughs) So I was trying to let these street rider people know, you know, we're both cooking ham. We're both riding motorcycles, but just because the way you were taught how to do it doesn't mean that's the only way. When wow. we're riding different bikes, different terrain, keep an open mind. What a great yeah. analogy. That, that's, that's fantastic because it, it also lends to that thought process of don't just do it because you've been told to do it. And, and this is something I, I always told my kids growing up. If it doesn't make sense to you, question it until you either understand it or you, you debunk it, you know, and find out that, well, it's not true. You have to question these things. Don't just accept them and just say, well, I've always done it that way. Yes. And what happens, which is sad in the rider training world, and it happens all over the world. Somebody wrote a curriculum in Canada. It was in the early 70s. How many street bikes had big hydraulic brakes on the front of the bike in the early 70s? Very few. Mm-hmm. They were still the old-fashioned shoe, brake shoes, drum brakes. You needed all four fingers on those babies to get really good stopping power, especially when they heated up. So that thought process of using all four fingers is embedded into the psyche of street riding instructors. Use all four fingers. So then they get somebody who's ridden a mountain bike their whole life or perhaps a dirt bike. How many fingers do they use? One or two. One or two. So then you have this well-meaning instructor yelling at you all weekend. Hey, use four fingers. I just told you that. Use four fingers. (laughs) (laughs) And what I try to enlighten my instructors is, you're not going to change someone's muscle memory habits that are long established by yelling at them, the student or the customer is just going just to think that you're a complete chucklehead and turn you off, especially a young person. Because who yells at young people, Jim? Their mom, their dad, a teacher, <laughs> yeah, yeah. perhaps a police officer. And they just shut, we shut out our parents as teenagers. We don't listen to them. So I've tried to use a little psychology with the instructor and say, you know, if they're performing the task, breaking, shifting properly, shut up about how many fingers they have. It makes no difference to their success, really, unless they get right into off-road. Then it mm-hmm. really should be two so they can hang on to the bar. But Yeah, because you got the, I was going to say that, you've got the two things that you want to do. You want to control your brake, but you also need some control over your handlebar as well on that side. So yes. that's uh, the huge advantage um, that, that I see is, is the, having the, the fingers wrapped around it. But that's interesting. So you, you're instructing the instructors yesterday. Yes. Is that more challenging than a regular class? I think it is because 
Uh, for instance, I do this thing with some local lawyers. It's called Pizza Night. And what they do is that they invite people from, I was going to say normal people, but that can't be true. They invite <laughs> me. But they invite different segments of society and they get them in the room and they present the details and facts about a proposed case that the lawyers are thinking of taking them on. And it might be a litigation case. And they support both sides, the plaintiff and the defendant, two lawyers from the same firm. And they kind of turn a video camera on and they leave the room. And the people at this pizza table are supposed to support or not support one side or the other. And it's a fascinating look at how people interpret fact and their prejudices sometimes bubble up to the surface. Mm -hmm. But I go just because it's the coolest thing to see how other people react. And they said to me last time I went, you're a teacher, aren't you? And I said, well, not really. I'm an instructor for like motorcycles. And they go, yeah, yeah, same thing. We don't really want you here. Because <laughs> apparently teachers are not the first people chosen for juries because teachers are used to being the one standing up and telling you how it is. They're not too good at listening to others sometimes. I'm generalizing. Right, right. You know but, what you're saying. So you got the boot. Yeah, I'm not invited to the pizza anymore. <laughs> but um, it was fascinating interacting with people that do the same thing the rest of I and my staff do. We teach people how to ride stuff, but it's street versus dirt. And it was really fun for me to see how people react to being instructed. Well, and it has to be a little unnerving as well, because these are instructors who have their own ideas about how they're teaching and, and everybody teaches differently, right? I mean, that's, that's got to have some personality to it, or at least it's somewhat different, yes. you know, or maybe even by school. Cause I know you have standards that you get your coaches to teach by. So, so you've got, you know, the, the Clinton Smout sort of standard, and then these other people have their standards and that, that must be it's a little bit unnerving to deal with. Yeah. I think if, as long as people have an open mind and you giggle about it, the yeah. the end goal is somebody learns how to ride and they have fun, whether it's in Australia or England. Uh, when I've traveled, that's one of the, my wife doesn't really enjoy it, but I go to rider training schools and kind of ask questions and how do you do this? You know, it's an engine and two wheels. You'd think it'd be exactly the same, <laughs> but it's vastly different around the world. You know, that reminds me of some years ago, we had Coach Ramey on the show. He's, he's passed now, but when uh, we had him on the show, one of the things that he said that really stuck with me was that he, he, would, he really made a point of saying that, you know, his way is not the only way. And, and with instructors, sometimes they get set on, this is the only way to do things. And, and what he would refer to it as, is a tool in your toolbox. In other words, a tool in your skills toolbox. So you just look at it, this is one way to do it. And like you're saying, you know, you go there and there, you'd think everything would be standardized, that there would be only one way, but there are many ways to do it, oh. isn't there? Yeah, exactly. And that's what made it really fun. And I think a good instructor keeps an open mind and they keep taking training themselves to buy, mm -hmm. to better their own riding and their own teaching skill sets. 
but the toolbox analogy, that's a great one. Yeah. Well, I, today we're talking about standing up. Why and how to stand on our motorcycle properly? And I think most riders are familiar with the idea of standing on the foot pegs, or at least they've probably seen other riders stand on their foot pegs at one time or another. But the question may linger as to why. And I thought we should start right there. Why would a rider get off that nice, comfortable seat? Hopefully they've got a comfortable seat. Yes. <laughs> and stand on their foot pegs. What, what are they achieving with that? Yeah, I guess the best way to sum, kind of summarize it is for better control in certain situations. And would that be at low speed or high speed or would it make a difference? I think both. Like extremely high speed you don't want your upper torso and head in the wind. So sitting down is better. Okay. Because there's, there's a point of speed where, you know, it's like a sail, your body up above the headlight. Mm-hmm. And that's not, not going to help control. Okay. So, well, well let's, let's look at the reasons specifically that we, okay. that we can stand up on the pegs. What would be the reasons be? What are the, what's the first thing that comes to mind? What we tell people is your vision is better because off-road in front of us, the terrain changes a lot more or it's going to be changed by environmental impact, you know, rain, erosion, ruts, different kinds of soil. So it's a lot more challenging sometimes for traction than pavement. So standing up affords you a much better vision down the trail or gravel road than you get from sitting down. So that's one of the positives of standing. Now, let me, let me just throw in, I, I re, what that makes me think of is riding down uh, dirt logging roads that are full of potholes and riding with someone who's out front of me, then they're sitting down and they're hitting pothole after pothole after pothole because they can't see them. I'm standing up and I'm going around them purposely. That's the difference in vision, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But good job. You let your friend go first. Good job, Jim. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Another one, it's a really good way to kind of isolate the impact of hitting bumps or potholes, as you were just mentioning. If you're standing, you can use your body suspension to help you traverse over these rough areas. So if you bend your knees and your elbows and your legs, which we'll discuss in detail, wow, does that ever smooth out your ride? And it extends kind of your endurance. If you're sitting down being hammered by all these rough trail, uh, you're not going to get as long a day or a nice feeling getting out of bed the next day. Mm Mm-hmm. And it can, you can lose control with that as well. I have a friend that was sitting down as he rode through a, a water bar on a logging road and uh, he got hit up so hard with the seat that um, he went down and broke his leg. Yikes. Yeah, that's sad to hear. But yeah. it the, the seat underneath your butt can be an eject button when the back tire hits a log or a rut something that's going to cause the suspension to squish upwards, that can send you up into the air big time. Mm -hmm. Like just your hands are hanging on. You're not really in control anymore. Right. What other reasons would we stand? Well, I really like it. If there is a log I'm approaching, it allows me to do what we call as preload. So 
you know, three feet, a meter away from the log, the front tires away from the log, I'll stand up and force my weight into my hands down on the handlebars and I push down aggressively with boots on the foot pegs. I can attain more suspension depression from a height, from standing. And the idea is if I compress the springs on the bike, usually there's three, two in the front, one on the back. If I can compress those just before I hit the log, I can use the rebound of the spring coming back up to help me over the log. Mm, right. But that's really hard to do from a seated position. On motocross tracks, we do something called seat bouncing, which is very similar. You smash your butt into the seat to compress just before you launch off a jump and you'll get more height extension. Mm. And that's sort of the same thing anyway, because I, I imagine you're, well, you're using your upper body, you're sort of slumping your upper body to, to shove the weight down, are you? Yes. Right. So preloading, you can't do it really well from seated. It's best standing as well. And then there's a course, we really think you're going to have better success and traction and control if you're standing up for hills. Whether you're going up or down, we don't think you should be seated. So for, well, I guess we'll get into that in depth, will we, Jim? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But standing for hills is way better than sitting down. And another one, the, uh, probably a really big one, is the fact that you're removing yourself from the seat and creating a bit of a hinge or pivot between your mass and the motorcycle, correct? Yes, yes. And where an example of that would be, let's say we've got to do a really tight turn and the ground isn't pavement. So that means as you turn to the left, your front tire could slide out a little to the right. I'm sure people can envision that. Let's say it's sandy. So what we get people to do is create the shape of a letter V. The motorcycle is going to lean to the left. Now on pavement, you can just sit straight up and down, nose over the gas cap. You don't have to really lean one way or the other with the bike. The tire rubber traction on the pavement, you're going to successfully turn. But off-road that front wheel is going to slide out because of the soft, soft sand Mm. or mud, whatever it is. So what we do, half of the shape of the letter V is the motorcycle leaning to the left. The other half of the V is your body hanging off the motorcycle to the right, or we say to the tall side of the motorcycle, opposite to the direction you're turning. And that counteracts the front wheel sliding out. Mm -hmm. So standing allows me to get my body off the motorcycle even further than sitting down. And would it also be that it, um, it helps the motorcycle for reacting to the terrain? So in other words, those fast jerky movements of, of maybe you tilting the bike side to side, maybe from one side to the other, the wheel, the front wheel being bopped around a little bit, the bike moves much easier. And, and people get really hung up on this too. This is one of those technicalities you hear a lot of people argue about. But the, the bike is allowed to move beneath you. 
without including your weight in the movement, because everyone understands that the more weight that you put on something, the slower it is to react. So inertia, right? So when you, when you stand up, you're separating yourself from the motorcycle, allowing it to move underneath you. And um, that allows you better control. Yes. So a good way to prove that to the listener is watch a jockey on a horse. When that horse is in a gallop, the rider, if they're at one with the horse, they're posting, they're standing, the knees are bent, the arms are moving back and forth with the head and neck movement of the animal. And they look like they're part of the horse. If that jockey's butt was in the seat, they probably wouldn't be on the horse for very long at very high speeds. Mm-hmm. Not that every cowboy stands up, but for racing, they have to. Uh, another analogy would be watch some YouTube of a motocross rider going through deep whoops. Guaranteed they're not sitting down. They're standing up and they're moving with the bike. Otherwise, they're going over the handlebars and that's an ugly crash. Mm -hmm. And for adventure bikes, if you're going through a stream or something and it's bouncing through the rocks, with you sitting on the seat, your chance of going down is is much higher, isn't it? Yeah, you're going to get wet. (laughs) What about um, the the one I was thinking of was, what what about uh, the fact that it's, or no, I shouldn't say the fact, what about the idea that it may be easier to step off or away from the bike? That's, That's what I sort of feel when I'm standing on my pegs. I feel like I'm... I'm a little bit safer as far as when I'm sitting down, I feel like if, if something goes wrong, the bike goes down, I'm not going to get a chance to get my legs out. Does that make sense? Well, we've always taught, like we, we, the last children that I taught how to ride, we did a little exercise pretending they're kicking a soccer ball. So if they're seated, because we do this before the standing up lesson, the little kids are going to fall on corners in the sand, guaranteed. And, Teaching that V shape that I just talked about might be a little complicated for a six-year-old. So we just tell them, if you do feel like you're falling off, we want you to kick that leg high up in the air like you're kicking a soccer ball. Then the mass of the motorcycle falls underneath the leg. It doesn't get trapped. Mm -hmm. So we, we carry that concept on to other age groups So whether you're sitting or standing, um, the best idea is not to fall, of course. But if you're going to, I agree with what you're saying, standing up, you can get your leg out of the way and let the bike fall and you kind of step off of it. So it does help. Okay, so so those are the reasons, or at least some of the reasons, the, the big reasons that we would want to stand on our foot pegs. Yeah, the only other one I can think of Um, I just got back from the Yukon a couple of weeks ago. And although the BMW seat is designed for fantastic comfort and control, uh, we did, you know, over 600 kilometers a day for a few days, over 400 miles. I don't care how comfortable your seat is. If your butt is not moving around, the weight of you sitting on the seat restricts blood flow. That essentially is why we get numb butt or dead butt. The blood's not circulating. So standing up allows the blood to circulate. 
and it eases the pain of sitting down for extended period of time. So it's a really nice relief from numb butt. Mm. Right. Hey, standing on the foot pegs is, is and in particular, what you're talking about there, because I think street riders could would want to do the same thing. But it depends on the layout of your bike, doesn't it? The cockpit yes. area setup of your bike, whether you can actually stand or not. Yeah, it is. If you're riding a cruiser style motorcycle, usually the floorboard or foot hook, foot peg placement is quite a bit forward. If you draw a straight line from where your butt is your boots might be two feet in front of you. It's not straight down. Whereas the ergonomics of what most of our listeners are riding, adventure bikes, your feet are underneath you. And that enhances your ability to get up off the pegs and stand. So on the street bike, in the example that you said, where you know there could be a couple of feet ahead of you, it wouldn't really work then because you're hanging off the bars, right? It's pretty tough because you've got to pull with the biceps to get your weight off the seat. Now that's, we still recommend that you're going over, you know, streetcar tracks, railway tracks, speed bumps. You didn't see it until the last second. Pull your arms and get your weight off the seat. You're not going to be standing for 10 minutes, talking about a couple of seconds. And otherwise, when that back wheel hits, it's coming up with the suspension and that could really hurt. Especially for a passenger, because if you think of a teeter-totter, if you slid to the middle of the teeter-totter, there's not really much bounce. But at the back of the bike, the passenger is at the back of the teeter-totter. Bumps and impact from rough terrain hurt the passenger's spine way more than the rider. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That just made me think of, of bicycle riding. You know, I think all of us have ridden bicycles. And when you ride a bicycle, unless it's full suspension, you learn to stand up, don't you? When you go for bumps. And you sure there's do. your example right there. That's why do we do it? Because we can feel immediately it's a relief. Yeah, it's transferred right through to the spine. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break while I tell you about two things. When we come back, we're going to talk about setting up the shifter and well, the brake, and then we're going to get into a lot more after this. Stay with us. It's not just the knit that makes Pearly's possum socks what they are. In fact, I would argue that the secret sauce lies mostly in the blend of merino wool and possum fur that they're made of. The blend of merino wool and possum fur is incredible for a number of reasons. Firstly, they offer incredible insulation. Just amazing insulation. The best, really. But those fibers also wick away moisture from your skin. So that makes them more comfortable. Makes your feet drier. It makes your skin suppler. They're also incredibly soft. And with the Pearly's Knit, they're the perfect fit. I mean, they're made for us riders. They're actually made for us riders. It's pretty incredible. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again as many times as I can. These are the best, the best cold weather socks I've ever tried. I've been doing outdoor stuff since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. These are the best socks I've ever tried. So good that I use them for everything. Hiking, snowshoeing, bicycle riding. I mean, I wear them a lot. Because they're warm, they're comfortable, they're dry. And and because of the the natural fibers that they have in the merino wool, it has lanolins in that merino wool. And the antiseptics are naturally in the possum fur. So Pearly's possum socks 
can be worn without fear of your feet getting smelly. Believe me, it's not just me that has tried this. There are many others that have tried this. And I can't tell you how many listeners have emailed me to say how pleased they were with Pearly's Possum Socks after hearing about them here and then buying them. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. Well, here is a great destination and an incredible opportunity to attend the largest overlanding event on the planet. Overland Expo Mountain West is happening August 25th to 27th in Loveland, Colorado at The Ranch. Three days packed with activities, presentations, a massive vendor exposition. You can camp all weekend. And for us riders, they've got all kinds of moto activities like the moto dinner. They've got an ADV skills area for classes on roadside repairs or changing tires in the field. This is all great stuff from people who do it all the time. They've got roundtable talks where you can hear stories from travelers who have already done many of the trips that you're thinking of doing. You can go for a day or you can go for the the weekend pass or you can get a moto weekend pass, which includes camping. So plan for an amazing weekend, August 25th to 27th, Loveland, Colorado at the ranch. You got to buy your tickets online. Best do it soon because this is wildly popular and there are limits. Overlandexpo.com is the website. Overland Expo Mountain West, August 25th to 27th. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Overlandexpo.com. Hey, can we begin with um with bike setup and talk yeah. about the the foot controls, maybe talk about their alignment, their adjustment, and maybe the effects of their positioning on our boots and maybe the boots that we're wearing as well. Yeah, and that's something that we have to qualify and not really educate, but tell the customers coming for our two-day BMW course. They're using our brand new BMWs. Now, luckily, those bikes have adjustability in the gear shifter side and often on the brake side. Because when your boot is on your foot peg, a lot of these riders have never ridden motorcycles with a good enduro or motocross boot. They've ridden with a softer street boot or some of them regretfully with shoes on. I've met quite a few people. No, no, I just wear my high tops. Yeah. Yeah, well, not here, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) So the height of the toe from the ground up on a boot is much taller than a running shoe or a street boot, off-road boots, to offer more protection and durability. The sole is thicker and the toe is actually higher. So that means it's harder for riders to get their toe under a shifter to shift it. Sometimes they have to point their boot downwards to get it into shift. And that's not safe or acceptable in my world because we're going through the trails. There's rocks and stumps, gophers, all kinds of things sticking up. You do not want to ride with your toes pointing down. Obviously. Sorry, it was the gophers. Oh, sorry, Jim. (laughs) We have a lot of gophers where I work. Right, and, and you're driving, riding over them. I get it. Yeah, okay. Anyway, go ahead. I'm just kidding. We've never run over a gopher. <laughs> but um, so what the very first thing we do is say, is talk about the boots. Now, I know you're all going to say, you know what? I can't feel my brake with these boots on. It's a very common complaint. It's just the, the gain 
in having good, safe foot protection is far better than the anguish of not being able to feel with your toes where stuff is. You know, if you're used to riding in flip-flops, then riding with a boot, you can't feel anything down there. But our goal is that with practiced muscle memory habit, repetitive use, you don't have to look down to see where your foot brake is. You shouldn't be when you're riding and moving. So the boot um, is definitely bigger for what we do. So we sometimes have to adjust the height of the, let's talk about the gear shifter first. Yeah, no, maybe just start with, with, um, with the gear shifter and say, where, where should the gear shifter be in relationship to any boot? And yes. that might make it clear what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, we usually try to adjust it level with the foot peg or a tiny bit higher if people have big, really big boots. Okay, so you're adjusting the shifter lever to the height of the foot peg, not so much the, the boot itself. That's correct. And then we get the person to sit on it on the center stand. Now, can you shift up and down with the engine off? Yeah, no problem. Or no, I feel like I have to dig my toes down. Then I've got to raise it. Now, some motorcycles, uh, perhaps a little more premium priced motorcycles, will come with adjustability for the height of the gear selector. You might need a 10 mil wrench or two of them or eight mil and you loosen the lock nuts and you can raise or lower the height of the shifter. If your bike doesn't have that, there'll be a 10 mil bolt that you remove and with a screwdriver or a small crowbar, you take the gear shifter off carefully and put it back on the gear shifter shaft, which is splined. It's got all kinds of little lines on it. And reposition it at a higher location. And test it before you tighten up the that 10 mil bolt. Just make sure you retighten that bolt. So many times when I'm checking over customers' bikes, that little 10 mil bolt doesn't have any Loctite on it, and with prolonged use and vibration, it backs out. That gives you free play because the gear shifter isn't pinched tightly onto the shaft, and that will ruin the splines in either the gear shifter or the gear shifter shaft, and that's an expensive repair. Okay, so that's, that's setting up the shifter. What about the brake pedal? The brake is very similar to problems we hear about the gear shifter. A lot of people complain that when they're standing, they can't reach the brake pedal. Their toe is pointing almost straight down by the time it engages. So it's rare that with tools, you can adjust the positioning of the brake lever. Some bikes will allow it. Other bikes will come with, it's an expensive brake pedal, but it has a part that will fold over to heighten the toe piece. Or aftermarket companies will sell you just a little two-inch square thing that fits on top of the stock brake pedal. All of them, the design is to raise the height of the brake pedal, which makes it easier for a rider to use the brakes when standing. 
because you don't want to sit down just to put the brakes on. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we shift gears and brake while standing. So the reason for this is just to just to explain the the difference between or the reason that we're 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 talking about this and the reason we're you're talking about these adjustable brake pedals is because when you're sitting down your knees are forward which puts your lower leg at an angle which puts your foot at an angle therefore the the brake pedal being lower is in the right position at that point but when we stand the, the your leg is now vertical your foot is now flat and now the brake pedal is too far down. That's why you're saying they have trouble reaching it. Exactly. Mm. You explained that very well. I wasn't even thinking of the explanation because <laughs> it's just a given. Right. <laughs> you can't touch it. But street bikes don't need that because you're not riding standing up for any length of time just to go over a speed bump or railway track or something. Mm-hmm. So that brake pedal looks like it's got the normal pad there and then right beside closer to, you know, on the inside towards the motorcycle, it's got the the, the levered pad that you fold down, which is kind of like another mini pedal that you yes. fold down on top of it that raises the pedal height. Is that like the ultimate setup? I think it is, at least in my world of BMW GSs. The GSA, kind of the ultimate adventure bike, a lot of people say, comes with that stock. Now in Canada, it's $300 to buy one, but For it the fits. Pedal. Yeah, just this adjustable brake lever. Mm. But it's very, very well built. It'll take a lot of abuse, i.e. bending back and forth without braking in mm-hmm. falls. And so I buy three of them. I bought three of them five, six, seven years ago. And I put them on the 1200s and 1250s because it doesn't come with that fancy brake pedal. But they fit perfectly. They're designed for that. And that really makes it better for both me and the customer to be able to use the rear brake while they're standing. And I guess this this little extra lever that you fold down, you can do that with your toe. You don't have to bend over to do it. Exactly. Right. Uh, Oh, no. Um, Like to when it's... This thing's on a spring and there's a pin release. So you've got to squish the spring to fold it down and then do the same to do it up. So you can't do that while you're riding. Oh, I see. So you're consciously stopping, getting off the bike and doing it. Okay. So most people simply leave it in the down position. And with muscle memory, they get used to lifting their toe a bit when seated to put their foot on the brake. Mm. Right. And you've got to be very careful, of course, especially with boots, not to drag that rear brake. That's yes. a, that's a position thing. But so what about a bike that doesn't have that adjuster though? For like, you know, for instance, my bike doesn't have that adjuster on yeah. it. It doesn't have all, the ability. Or, or what about somebody riding, you know, KLR or V-Strom or something? Right. Um, all kinds of aftermarket companies will sell you a little gizmo that attaches by bolts or little screws to your stock brake pedal. And it raises up the brake uh, an inch, inch and a quarter that allows you to do the same thing the fancy brake pedal does. Mm, okay. And do you have any brand names that, that come to mind? Oh, all kind. Um, Black Dog make them in the States, Alt Rider, Tour Tech. Everybody who sells things for adventure bikes will sell this little add-on piece. Quite economical, mm-hmm. but it'll transform your riding when standing. Now, a quick story, Jim, a friend of ours, George, one of our instructors, 
he had the stock brake pedal on a 1200 GS. And he really wanted that expensive one, but he didn't perhaps want to spend $300. So he said, Clinton, do you have a used one? And I said, well, all of the ones I have are used, but I, I use them. <laughs> They're on bikes right now. But I do have one, a customer wiped out on a GSA. He asked me if he could go up this really steep hill. And I said, you know what? That's a level two skill demand. I don't think you should try that. Let's do the hills at level one before we tackle one that hard because that's really steep. Did he listen to me, Jim? <laughs> no, he didn't. I hear this engine screaming because I went in to get someone a pair of gloves. I come out and I see a brand new GSA cartwheeling backwards down the hill. Is this he, your GSA? No, thank God. It was his, uh, there would have been a fatality at the school. <laughs> but um, it broke his windshield. Both mirrors snapped off and it pretzeled his rear brake to the point where it wasn't usable. So I had a spare bike that I wasn't using. I took his destroyed brake pedal off and I lent him mine and then sold it to him for the cost that it was going to cost me to replace it with a new one, which I did. Mm -hmm. So at least the guy could ride home. But he learned a valuable lesson. You know, if you're given advice by someone who's been up and down that hill, maybe don't do it. Follow the <laughs> advice. Anyway, I had this pretzeled brake lever in stock. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to heat it up with the propane torch and bend it back. Well, I snapped it right off. So I gave it to a buddy of mine that's an expert welder. And I didn't give him a second new one to kind of model the shape after. Oh, yeah. So the when he welded it together, which was a fantastic job, it was too low. So it didn't really work. <laughs> so my buddy George thought, you know what? I'll make that work. So I gave it to him and we were on one of the BDR rides in Vermont, New Hampshire, New York. And he's complaining, you know, Clinton, this isn't working for me. I still have to step down. The fancy brake lever because of the bad bend is the same height as a stock one. So I thought, you know what? If there was a bike shop, we could go buy an additional little pedal to stick on top. There was no bike shops. So I made one out of a hunk of wood and safety wired it on top of his brake <laughs> and thinking this would be completely temporary. And George loved it. Uh, and he didn't care that people were mocking him. They're going, that's a piece of wood you got stuck on your brake, buddy. <laughs> But it worked, so I'll send you a picture of that. It's quite comical. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes for sure. That that makes me think of my my plywood pannier mount that I made yes. quickly for my bike to go up for the weekend when I bought my bike, and you know, ten years later, it's still on the it's bike. Still there. <laughs> my bits Whatever of plywood. Works. Every now and then, somebody will say, "That's plywood," and I go, "Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> made it myself. <laughs> Hard That's to right. tell, isn't it?" <laughs> Okay, so so that's that's the foot lever. So that's our adjustments, really. Is is um, yes. the the foot lever, or sorry, the brake lever rather, and the gear shift lever. 
Yeah. So when people are getting into adventure riding and they invest in boots, which we applaud, uh, go home. You may have to adjust your bike to get it as comfortable as it was to shift and brake with prior to you buying boots. But boots are a fantastic idea if you're going to go off-road because these are big, heavy bikes. If you lose traction and put a foot down, you can really hurt an ankle or lower foot. And especially if the bike lands on it, you want a really expensive boot. In my opinion, you can't spend too much on boots. Right. And just yeah. standing, Jim, boots are so important. If you have the stock skinny peg, the width of your finger, you better have good boots because it's really going to hurt. You couldn't ride that with a soft street boot. The bottom of your foot would be very, very painful. So I usually take the stock pegs off and I save them and I sell the bike with the stock pegs when I'm done with it. So I have some IMS wide foot pegs that are nine years old because I've been switching them from bike to bike every year or every two years. Yeah. But the wide peg is such a difference for standing up on because the pressure, it's like a hoof compared to a lady's high heel shoe. Right. Pounds per square inch on the high heel really hurts if they step on you. So the wide foot peg. It, it's really a good thing to talk about when we're talking about standing. How do you set up your bike? Adjust the gear shifter and brake and put some good pegs on it. That makes perfect sense. Okay, so let, let's talk about the, the actual standing position itself. Yeah. Now, I think you have some specifics as well for, for different terrains. So where do we start with that? I think flat ground. You're okay. just driving down a gravel road What's the good position to stand? And you can practice this in the garage or the driveway. Get your bike up on the center stand if it has one. If not, the side stand's fine. Just don't be bouncing around too much and spread the jaws where your side stand goes in because it'll lean over a little further after that. So for flat ground, what we say is get up on the pegs and stand straight up with no hands on the handlebars. So practice balancing. It's almost like you're standing straight up and you're a guard outside Buckingham Palace. That standing position that a guard would have, you know, at at anywhere where there's a ceremonial guard, they're standing in such a manner to conserve energy. Imagine, Jim, if they're standing there with bent knees, how Mm. long could they do it? You know, an aerobics instructor could probably do 10 minutes. Uh, An aging motorcycle instructor, like a tall guy I know, would last a minute. And the back, the muscles at the back of my legs would be starting to scream, Mm -hmm. reminding me that I'm not an aerobics instructor. So straight legs where you're conserving energy is the best position to start with. Then lean over and grip the handlebars lightly. Uh, We're advocates of the two fingers closest to your thumbs are resting on either the clutch or the brake. So you only have, if you have five digits, you know, some people have had 
trouble with woodworking or metal shop. And all those piano lessons are out the window. But whatever digit you got left, grip the handlebars lightly, not white-knuckled. To do that, you've got to bend a little at the back, maybe stick your butt backwards a little bit. But you're still balanced over the foot pegs, almost a straight position up. And that way, the ergonomics of standing will prolong your energy because you're holding yourself up pretty well with skeletal support. The big femur, the tib-fib bones of the leg, and the muscles are holding you upright, just like if you're standing still on the ground. That's a, re- that's a really good concept to keep in mind that you just mentioned there about your balancing over the foot pegs. And this would probably help riders understand or remember not to be gripping the handlebars or leaning on the handlebars. So what you're saying is you're, you should be balancing over those foot pegs. That should be your balance point. Absolutely. Side to side, front to back. Yeah, because if you're leaning back too far, you can't stand up without hands on the handlebars. If you're leaning too far forward, it's very whole, hard to hold your balance standing up on the bike on the center stand mm. with your hands off the bar. So balance point comes first. Then you add the hands, stick the butt out, bend the back a little bit. Mm, now that makes sense. Yeah. You just said, I just want to reiterate what you just said there too about the energy conservation. When you're saying leg straight, this is your energy conservation mode. So in other words, like you said, you're on a gravel road, it's straight. You're just standing up for whatever reason, maybe a better view, maybe just to just to get a break from your butt uh, being on the seat. But that's energy conservation. So your legs are straight and, and in the position that you just described. Yes, because off-road is way more fatiguing than um, street riding because of all the body muscle use you're using, mm-hmm. especially if you're new at it. You're usually gripping a little tighter with boots, knees, and hands. Too tight because your balance isn't there yet. A well-balanced rider, and I'm not talking mentally balanced, Jim, because I'm actually pretty good at the standing stuff. It has nothing to do Which with... Which contradicts the other, right. I yeah, get exactly. <laughs> but um, it really helps if you're first balanced on the bike and then work towards hanging on. And what about your knees in that stance? Yeah, knees are so important. Uh, it helps you bend your legs. But when you're standing up, what we tell people is turn the toes of your boots inwards toward the engine and grip slightly with the top of your boots or legs and the knees, depending on your height and the design of the seat and the tank, you should be able to grip the motorcycle lightly with the knees. That gives you a better sense of comfort because you're hanging on with something other than just your hands. Mm. It also allows you that uh, the ability to grip tighter at times, isn't it? So yes. you, if you were to stop quickly, for instance, instead of letting your weight slam onto the handlebars and become sort of stiff at the, not able to steer or maneuver, you instead grip with your legs and you're still light on the handlebars. Exactly. And that's really important. It segues into rather than just flat ground, constant speed, what happens when our speed changes? Acceleration, heavy deceleration. What happens to our body position when we climb and descend hills? 
knees and body position change them. But it's really important to have balance is so critical. We're going to take a quick break. I have two things I want to tell you about very quickly. When we come back, we have a lot more with Clinton, but also at the end, he's got some exercises for you to do at home to learn how to do this even better. And he's got some great ideas for this. So stay with us. Stories are in our DNA and nothing is better than a great story. And that's what Road Dog Publications is all about. Road Dog Publications is a publishing company that specializes in great motorcycle stories. And if you visit their website, you're going to spot that immediately. RoadDogPub.com is the site. The latest release is Mike Fitterling's book titled A Year in Motion. Also just out is The Hog, The Dog, and The Iron Horse Travels Through America. Then there's Rubber Side Down by Ron Davis, The Tom Report, Two-Wheeled Wind Therapy. There's Jackie Ferno's books, Zoe Cano's books, Graham Field's books, Man in the Saddle by Paul Van Hoof. So many incredible reads all in one place. RoadDogPub.com. Now, Road Dog also supplies their books to all fine bookstores, but you can go directly to their website and get them delivered to your door. RoadDogPub.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. RoadDogPub.com. It's episodes like this one today that really emphasizes the importance of your foot pegs, properly designed wider foot pegs that can increase your control of the motorcycle, add comfort to your feet. That added size really gains you better control over your motorcycle. It almost makes it like you have better skills, especially with off-pavement riding. IMS Products has a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs made in the USA, warrantied for life. These pegs are designed using 47 years of company experience to make these CAF-certified stainless steel foot pegs. And no matter how you ride, no matter your style, they're going to have a peg for you. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. That's flat ground. So what are we going to next? How about if it's bumpy? Mm-hmm. That stand-up position is quite jarring to the legs, feet, knees, spine. You mean the straight leg position? Yeah, the one yeah. we just talked about mm-hmm. is going to hammer you. So we teach one that's called the tiger position in the BMW curriculum. Instead of standing straight, you bend your legs at the knees You're crouched over the handlebars a bit more and still loose wrists, loose elbows. Keith Code says you should be able to flap your elbows before going into a corner. And the idea is you're not white knuckling the grip. You white knuckle the bars. You don't have as much control as with a loose grip. So that goes back to what you said there. Again, that balance over the foot pegs. Huge. It's every, everything in riding. So even though we're changing our stance, we're putting our, our we're bending our knees, and we're we're moving down a little bit from that from that standing up locked leg position that we talked about at the start. But even though we've changed that, we're still focusing on balanced over those pegs. Yeah, to okay. the point where if you're riding along, I'm not suggesting you do this, 
but you could let go of the bars and you're not going to fall forward or backwards because you're balanced over the pegs, centered over them. But don't let go of the bars, Jim. Right, right. And so just a little disclaimer, don't do this at home of folks yes. because the you try is on your own, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. That's right. <laughs> now for bumps though, as the front tire is going over it, the motorcycle comes up under us, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So you absorb that energy coming up with your knees, just like a jockey on a horse galloping. Then when the back tire hits, the same thing. And this happens fairly quickly at speed, but your body flows and moves fluidly with the changes in suspension. That changes the height of the seat. So you have to be standing up and be flexible with your body. Your suspension, knees and elbows, is moving with the horse, moving with the bike. And so this different position is called tiger. Now you're holding yourself up in the balance position with more muscular support rather than the skeletal support we talked about earlier with more of the straight leg. Now, if you were to look at the, this from the side, watching somebody go through bumps, their body would be somewhat steady, not bouncing up and down. The bike would be bouncing up and down underneath them. That's what you're describing. Exactly. So you're increasing your suspension travel, really, Big with your time. legs. Yeah. yeah. And you're still on the bike after the bumps. That's the right. important Which is part an added too. bonus. <laughs> <laughs> so it is far more fatiguing, especially when we're new at it, because we haven't done this on street bikes on mm -hmm. pavement street riding you know your butt's in the seat you go over some bumps it hurts a little bit you just learn to slow down when you see them so you can crawl over but that can be dangerous in, in traffic so even in traffic on rough spring roads in canada because we have frost and snow and potholes uh, i can justify my standing up because of the rough terrain the rough roads Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily have to slow down to crawl over them, which is dangerous in traffic. You do have to be careful, though, because you have to, it depends on where you live and what your local laws are, because there are some places where standing up is considered uh, hot rodding. So yes. you, can, you can say whatever you want to say, you're going to get a ticket for it. So you want to make sure that you know that you can stand up in your, your province or state. Yes. And that's a good thing to just ask a... You know, one police officer told me, yeah, I would call that stunt riding. He's never ridden a motorcycle. Yeah. And often when he sees people on major highways, the idiot factor I'm talking about now, who compress the suspension, drop the clutch on big muscle bikes and hammer the throttle, they stand up to catwalk or wheelie the bike down the highway which is absolutely irresponsible because you know it's one thing if they wipe out but that's a 600 pound missile going through the air when they wipe out and it catapults into another vehicle so when that officer who has seen and experienced that stunt riding it's called in my part of canada he sees you or I stand up to stretch our legs, Jim, or maybe it was a little rough paved road. He may put the lights on and pull us over, assuming that we're going to initiate that stunt riding that yeah. he's seen. Yeah. Whereas um, I have a lot of friends that are police officers that ride off-road. 
And they go, nah, I would never pull somebody over. But mm-hmm. often the interpretation of stunt riding is up to the police officer. And then you may have to fight it in court. Okay. So um, shall we talk about uh, place, foot placement on the pegs? Yeah. Uh, just before that, um, we actually meet some people. They're very tall and they've bought an adventure bike. And so standing up in either of the two positions that we just discussed, kind of the straight leg for flat ground or the tiger position is excruciatingly uncomfortable and almost impractical for someone who's very, very tall. So they may have to invest in adjusting their bike a little differently than just the foot controls. They may have to lower the foot pegs. And there are aftermarket companies that will allow you to angle the foot pegs below the stock position. So they'll sell you a bracket or something to install your your foot pegs on to lower the foot pegs. Yeah, there's disadvantages, of course, to that, isn't there? Well, leaning over and it's closer to obstacles, Mm -hmm. that might be the thing that hits first on big stumps and logs you're trying to go over. But for those riders, um, that little bit of risk is worth it. Because not being able to stand up comfortably is horrible. It's like you or I riding a little 100cc bike all day long standing up, which I've done when we've been really busy. I'll take whatever bike has gas in it. And that's a hard bike for an old guy to ride all day when I'm crouched over too far. Mm -hmm. What other things can you do? Well, a lot of people will invest in bar risers. So the height of the handlebar is put up by fitting more metal underneath the handlebar above the triple clamp. So your hands are actually higher. If you're taller, that makes it more comfortable. But it's quite controversial in the instructing world. Uh, Kind of the high-end expert riders, uh, Simon Pavey, for instance, believe bar risers are another way that the manufacturer of the parts can suck money out of us. And <laughs> in other words, believed, unnecessary. Yeah, totally unnecessary. And the reason is the reason is at kind of a, a higher level of riding demand, let's say you want to get your bike over that two foot log. If your hands are quite high up in the handlebar position You don't have any upper body strength or bicep strength to pull upwards to help the suspension unload and get your bike over the big log. If your hands are lower, stock bar position, you can engage muscle from the arm and bicep to get you up and over. That's why Simon explained to me that you don't need bar risers. Mm. So for years, I didn't ride with them. And then I counted how many two-foot logs was Clinton going over. Very rarely, Jim, just when I teach level two BMW. Mm -hmm. If I'm out in the trail, I'm on a pretty expensive bike. Maybe if I was 20 years old, I would think, oh, yeah, big log. Let's do this, baby. Now I'm usually riding by myself on the way to work and I'm checking out the trails. Now I'm thinking, oh, there's got to be a way around this. (laughs) So I don't 
look at going over these monster obstacles all the time. But let's say I'm in the Yukon. I could stand up for three hours on some of these horrendously long gravel roads. Very comfortable because now I have bar risers on most of my bikes. That's a very good way of explaining a uh, use for a bar riser. That's the first I've heard that. That, that makes sense. I mean, you've got to make compromises as we do with everything on the bike. And if, um, if that compromise makes you more comfortable, it makes a lot of sense. You know, think about what you're doing most on the bike. Yes. Yeah. Standing up, not going over great big logs. Yeah. So that's what you just have to be careful with them because the six foot, foot seven tall person may buy two sets of bar, rise, bar risers and just put some really long bolts in. And I did this, Jim. I was such an no idiot. No way. Really? I don't know if I recounted this story, but when I was about 15, I had this old Honda 175, a real beater because I had no money. So I think I paid $200 for it and had to put a new Kickstarter shaft in it and fix it up. And I met these guys who owned or worked at a local dirt bike shop. And they had these fancy Can-Ams and CZs, really cool bikes. And they all had bar risers. And they, I was this kid that showed them my local forest trails. And they were quite appreciative. And they said, you know, kid, do you want to try our bikes? And I said, wow, your handlebars are so high. And this, they explained, yeah, it's better comfort for standing. And I really wanted those. So I thought, well, I can't afford it. I'll make some. So I made these god-awful looking things, but they're quite safe as far as, like they didn't wobble or anything, but my bars were about four inches higher than they used to be. Then, and it's not a long story, but this new girl moved into our country neighborhood and all the guys in the summer, it was summer holidays, so I didn't see her on the school bus. All the guys that I rode with or chummed with said, oh, you got to see this Anne-Marie. She's a knockout. Well, just as I'm tightening up the bike, the day I put my homemade bar risers on, my dog barked because at the end of our long laneway, the new girl walked by Jim with her dog. So mm -hmm. I thought... 50-year-old ego here, what better way to introduce myself to this new person than go flying out of the driveway really fast and do a power slide and impress upon her what a fantastic motorcycle rider. That'd be a good segue to open up a, a hello. Well, it didn't quite work out that way. And that's the cautionary tale in this story is when you put your bar risers up really high, the manufacturers engineered the length of your throttle cable to a certain length, don't they? Mm -hmm. So when I went flying out of my driveway, and there she was, I turned left, and I promptly gave it full throttle without touching the throttle. Because the, <laughs> the cable's too short, and it just it yanked. It too tight. Yeah. So I, th I think you did tell me this before. Oh, did I? And, and I was going to say the funny thing is about this is that looking back, do you really think that even if you'd done that and you pulled it off and the, and the throttle cable had been long enough, do you really think that would have impressed her? Well, it backfired in that sense. But 
her name was Anne Marie. We ended up dating. I think she felt sorry for this idiot upside <laughs> down in the ditch under his bike. So she so came it, over to see if I was okay. So it did work. It did work in the long way. But I've learned when people talk about getting tall bar risers, I make sure before you start, you know, start up your bike and turn left with it on the center stand. If the throttle noise goes up, you have to buy the optional length throttle cable or any other electrical cables, maybe even the clutch, will require rerouting or routing, sorry, so that you're not tightening the cable with bar movement. Just be, yeah. It's probably best to let a shop install your bar risers. Because you, you, you want to even look for things that, like, I mean, you know, even if something doesn't change, you could be yanking the wires tight. And that's exactly. only going to go so long. Or like you said, if you don't reroute them, they could be pulled against a piece of metal and it won't take long for them to wear through. So yeah, certainly yeah. Um, you can set up yourself for all kinds of problems. I always remember, I think it was, um, I'm trying to think of what it was. It was, it was a, it was a movie on, on a motorcycle. Somebody does motorcycle trip. Helge Peterson, I think is what it was. Okay. And, he, and he said in this movie, he said, every problem that we've had on the bikes so far on this trip have been caused by people's own modifications. Absolutely. So it yeah. It wasn't manufacturer stuff. <clears throat> and, and he said that was, I think he said that was sort of common. And it's true. Cause I mean, you know, in your own experience, right? The things you modify are the things that end up get rearing their head, their ugly head at you somewhere down the road. You go, Oh yeah, that's right. I put that wire in there. And I yeah. guess I shouldn't have. <laughs> I can say the same thing when we're on our trips and I'm at the back helping out, mm -hmm. uh, the bike's dead. There's, no electrical left at all. A fuse is blown because someone watched a YouTube video how to install their own fog lamps or right. whatever. Yeah. And they didn't do it properly, especially a BMW with a CAN bus system. You mm -hmm. got to know what you're doing. You just can't run wires to the battery. It's going to backfire. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually, there's, there's plug-in CAN bus systems now you can get. We have an advertiser that has those and you can, uh, as a matter of fact, I think the two, we have two advertisers that have them, both um, Cyclops and Hex Innovate. Hex Innovate has some really special systems where you plug it into your onboard diagnostic connector. Yes. Then you wire, like basically power wire to your batteries and then your wires to your accessories and you control them with the controls that you have on the bike. Perfect. And, and apparently even the manufacturers like this because it saves people messing th things up because you literally can't mess this up. Perfect. Because you're using the the existing CAN bus to to control the light. So yeah, it's a good system to, to think of if you've got that style system. Again, your show's going to cost me money, Jim. <laughs> when we talk, you <laughs> Sorry, mentioned... Clinton. Oh no, it's good. I love the stuff when I'm out touring. I'm a big fan of that green chili um, oh, tow yeah. rope. I use that so often. Yeah, great stuff. Mm. I can't say enough about them. But okay, so we're, we're on to um, foot placement on the pegs. Yes, feet on the pegs. So... If you stand flat-footed on the ground, there's no bend in your knee, try to jump up in the air. You're not going to get much height. Then try just standing on your toes. So your foot is arched and bent. You're just, you're, all your weight's on your toes. Now leap up in the air. Which one will give you more height? Mm, yeah, the ball the of feet. Yeah, yeah the so toe, yeah. that's where we put people on their uh, pegs is the balls of their feet so they've got the muscle of the foot can help them get from a seated position to a standing position 
And what we do is try to adjust, if the seat is adjustable, the seat height will have a correlation to your feet on the pegs because we have the seat as high as possible where you still can touch the ground. And that makes it easier to go from a seated position to a standing position. Because you're not as cramped. Yeah. Yeah, I have to chuckle because you've been riding fancy bikes way too long, Clinton. Adjustable adjustable seats. seats. I've never had an adjustable seat. I have no (laughs) idea what that would feel like. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I am spoiled, definitely. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the other thing about that balls of the feet, if you're on the balls of your feet, it allows your foot to pivot around and turn. But prepping your pegs, we talked about having a good wide peg. A lot of stock adventure bikes, like street bikes, have rubber foot pegs or rubber inserts. And I think its design is it absorbs the vibration or isolates vibration so it's less fatiguing to your boot and foot. But if you're riding off-road, you know, it's a wet day, you've gone through some mud, you put your foot down in the wet grass, you put that rubber boot or sole back on the rubber foot peg is very easy to slide off. I've done it many times. So another thing about before we talk about toes on the peg, we recommend you on BMWs, we pull the rubber out of the steel foot peg and it exposes the serrated edge. And that's what I ride with all the time. I have box full of rubber uh, inserts to BMW pegs. <laughs> if anybody's lost one, I must have 50 of them. Because oh, really? <laughs> we take them out of customers' bikes and they say, well, yeah, that feels better grip. I understand that. Uh, you can have them. Well, what am I yeah. going to do with them? <laughs> That's what I've done too before. Is that, and I, I didn't even miss them. I mean, I have IMS pegs now and, and they don't have them. And I don't miss them at all. But I, yeah. I just want to go back to what you said about balls of the feet. Just to be clear, yes. the ball of the foot, the ball is behind the toe, right? Yes. It's that, it's that round exactly. part behind the toe. So that's what you're standing on. And it's a, it's a thing you naturally sort of lean on that. And I guess using your toes for balance as you lift your heel off the ground. Right. And I did watch a gentleman a couple of weeks ago. He actually had his heels on the foot pegs. And when I had a chance to chat about it with him, he said, you know what? I've got these skinny pegs. His boots were a pretty soft sole. They were a trials riding boot, you know, the motorcycles with no seats. Mm -hmm. And they really want a soft, grippy sole for walking the section before you ride it. And so trials boots are unbelievably lightweight and soft So this guy's bottom of his foot was so sore from standing up on the skinny stock foot pegs of his BMW that he put his heels on the pegs to isolate that. It was actually bruised, he said, the next day. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I thought you were going to say because just the the boots didn't feel good. But yeah, I forgot about that. You'll bruise your feet. You'll actually hurt your feet. Yeah, that makes sense. So one of the investments he was planning was a wider peg and boots for adventure riding. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so you you were mentioning about um, the the foot position on the peg. And did did you talk about the toes in? Yeah, I mentioned it quickly, but we can elaborate A couple times or a couple reasons why we turn our toes in. If people's knees 
are away from the seat and the tank and we can see daylight through them, we know they don't have a good perch. So we'll coach them, turn your toes inward toward the engine a little bit, pigeon-toed, I think it's called, Mm -hmm. and that brings your legs tighter. And that little coaching tip is enough to give them a better perch and a better sense of balance on the bike. And that gets your knees in, like you're saying, against the tank, which they should be there to yeah. to give you support and uh, to help you while you're standing up. And the other thing I guess it does is it, it keeps your toes from catching things. Yes, exactly. We don't want them sticking out or down. Right. You definitely don't want to sit there even when you're sitting with your, your toes sticking out when you're off-road. No. Um, another kind of justification of it is if you think of old motorcycles, they had rubber inlay on the tank street bikes, off-road bikes. And that was so the the inner part of our knees could grip the tank, gave us more balance, stability, and a feeling of control when on the bike. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of off-road pants will have leather inserted into the whatever cloth material the off-road pant is for that same reason, for grip. So we know knees are supposed to be there. So is it worthwhile sticking a a grippy pad on your bike? Well, I think if you've got, uh, with practice, you don't need them. But uh, a lot of people, aftermarket-wise, will put them there. And it avoids scratching the tank if you're really particular about your bike, which a lot of people are. I hear that every week. No, no, I don't want to use my bike, Clinton. I'd rather crash yours. Well, well, thank you probably, very much. <laughs> that's good thinking, though. It's a brand but, new uh, bike. You should. I, I, I don't. I don't worry about scratching mine either. Yeah. That's uh, to me. That's what the bike is meant for. Is it I, is. I bought it to, to yeah. do this kind of stuff. What about um, hands? Oh, just before hands, Jim. The toes also really help you turn. If you're trying to take a really tight turn, if you turn and pivot, let's say we're turning left. Turn your boots to the left while they're on the foot peg and your hips and your shoulders. But it starts with the toes. Then your head turns left so your eyes are looking where you want to go. So toes are all part of that turning package that we get our body aligned with. I see. And then by doing that, you're naturally counterweighting immediately. Exactly. You're leaning into it. Good point. Okay. So um, hands? Yes. Uh, Now, it's very controversial. Street riders like four fingers on a lever. Anybody riding off-road mountain bikes, trials bikes, dirt bikes, adventure bikes, we usually gravitate to having less digits on the levers. So we have some left over to hang on to the handlebar grips. So, but hands, whatever, however many digit you use, you need a relaxed grip. The white knuckle grip, like eagle claws on a branch, usually indicate nervousness. When we're scared, we grip things very, very tightly. When people get nervous on the bike, which standing up on a motorcycle, you know, for those of us that do it all the time, you giggle at the thought of that scaring you. But if somebody's never ridden standing up, you try and tell them, to relax their grip. It's not happening Mm -hmm. because they're nervous. They've never done that. It feels like they're wobbly and they're going to fall off. But eventually, once we get more comfortable, 
relax the grip. Uh, one trick we use, and it, it was part of the notes I made for folks listening for homework, Jim. Ride along off-road. Don't do this down, you know, your main street in the city. But riding along, standing up, let go of the handlebars with one hand. And what that achieves is it forces you to have a better perch with your boots and knees. Because if your knees and legs aren't touching the bike really, and the only thing that are kind of your point of purchase on the bike are your boots and your one remaining hand, any throttle input, I'm assuming you've let go of the bars with your left hand, Jim. If you're using the other hand, your bike keeps slowing down. So mm-hmm. don't do that. But any input to the throttle on and off, your body's all over the bike going forwards and backwards. That's very disconcerting and it's not safe. So if you let go with the clutch hand, and for starters, just leave it three inches away from the left handlebar. So for peace of mind, you know, if things get ugly or scary, you can just put your hand back. But the idea is it forces you to have a better perch and squeeze gently with your knees and your boots. Now you say better perch, but it goes back to what you said to begin with. Again, and I sort of want to reiterate this because I think it's an excellent point, is you want to be balanced over those foot pegs, yes. right? Because if, you, if you're not balanced, and, and you, I know you're using your knees for some of this as well, yeah. but if you're not balanced to some degree over those foot pegs, you can't take one hand. No, definitely not. Yeah, so that's a that's a good thing to remember. And that's part of our practice for standing and control. It proves to the person and the instructor coaching that they've got a good perch. They can handle standing up because they're riding with one hand. Mm-hmm. And then we just tell people, you know, you get to a tight corner or loose gravel, put both hands back on. We're not trying to do trick riding here, but proof of it, is I've met now two riders, uh, one's a good friend of mine and the other is a customer who only had one arm. So they ride standing up a lot because both of them are adventure bike riders. Oh, wow. And they only have their right arms. Actually, one of them only has a left arm. So he's switched his bike controls so the throttle is on the left handlebar and he's integrated his foot brake so it automatically puts both discs on his front brake when he uses the rear brake. Uh, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, amazing. So I guess once you get really good, you could, you, you like you probably ride around with either just one hand off-road or no hands, I'm assuming. Uh, you should see me ride, Jim. I don't know <laughs> if I'm really good. Well, do you remember with bicycles, you'd ride oh, down yeah. you know, the good riders you see with no hands. You go, wow, that's so cool. And eventually you get to do it yourself and you think it's the coolest thing ever. I mean, you know, you yes. must do the same thing on your motorcycle. I know. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> but I guess some people do no hands. The stunt yeah, riders do it a lot. Right. They have a throttle lock and they'll stand up on the seat. No hands. Oh, I see. But the throttle is adjusted very tight. So wherever they set it, it holds it at that position. The stunt riding is just so over the top now. It's unbelievable the stuff they're doing with bikes. It's just, it looks impossible. I mean, yeah, it's just incredible. They're magicians. I've had the great experience to work with probably two of the best in the world. Um, 
all three of us work periodically for Triumph. So when uh, Triumph dealers come to a great big meeting, it's called their Champions Week. So if you're the best sales person in your dealership, you get an all expense paid trip to somewhere sunny in the United States because there's a lot of snow, even in the southern parts of Canada. So I've gone three times now. And the idea is, you know, there's meetings and PowerPoint presentations, rah, rah, rah. But then you get to test ride the new street bikes that aren't out yet to the general public and the new adventure bikes, Tigers, Scramblers. And they triumph sponsors two stunt riders. It's called Team Empire and it's Nick and Ernie. Unbelievable riders and really nice guys. They're not show-offs on the street. You'll never see them do a wheelie or a burnout. Mm -hmm. But uh, they do a lot of stunt work for movies and they fly all over the world doing weekend shows at motorcycle events. And these two guys can ride anything, you know, catwalk, great big heavy adventure bikes, just incredible to watch. Yeah, I've always wondered how you get to that level. Like, do you just go out and, and sort of go nuts on your on your practice bike or something? I mean, the, the amount of balance and control they have on motorcycles, it just blows my mind. Yeah, it's practice. Um, I asked them that exact same question and Ernie didn't even start riding till he was 15. And just work at it and work at it and work at it. And there's a lot of crashing. Uh, Yeah, that's what I was assuming. I think you would take one bike and (laughs) and not worry about it. Figure this bike's going to be a write-off when I'm done. And and here we go sort of thing. Yeah, but Mm. um, it's indicative of if you practice something long enough, you'll get very good at it. And they practice Mm. the hard stuff. We've talked about this before. Many of us have fun practicing what we're good at. Um, Nick and Ernie are testament to practice what you suck at until you get really good at it. And then that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. We talked about standing flat. We talked about going over bumps. What changes with hills? Yeah. Well, again, balance. If you stay standing straight up above the pegs and then pick the front wheel of the motorcycle up, now you're leaning way back. So on hills, we have to adjust our body position. And we recommend for vision, traction, and balance, you lean forward when you're climbing hills. So that puts our chin right above our handlebars or headlight if it's really steep. You're still in that tiger position because the hill may have bumps, rocks, ruts, roots, and that Tiger Bison helps you isolate any changes in the terrain because the whole idea is to bounce over it and keep going. You can't stop just because it's a route you've gone over because you're not getting up the hill. So we lean forward in our standing position. Now, when you're leaning forward like that, you're talking about going up the hill. Are you still balancing? You're still basically balancing over the pegs? Yes. So you would be, if you're passing any trees... Despite the incline, isn't the tree going straight up? Mm -hmm. So that's what you look like. As you're passing the trees, you're leaning upright. So 
that's the best point of balance. Right. If so you, it's not like you're it's not like you're leaning forward on the handlebars all of a sudden. You're still maintaining that that balance over the foot pegs. Exactly. Okay. And then you get to the top of the hill. Usually there's a downhill. And when you're downhill, the main reason we change our standing body position is for traction. So if you stay standing straight up like you would on flat ground, you're adding your muscle mass or weight onto the contact patch of the front tire. And there's enough traction there. We don't need any more. Mm-hmm. So you need to stick your butt way back, still standing, but it almost looks like you're seated because your, your butt might be a few inches above the rear passenger area of your seat. Your arms are stretched out more, but your eyes are still up looking down the hill, but your butt is way behind your foot peg. That way, when we use one finger braking, because if you tilt a motorcycle downhill, the weight transfer goes to the front wheel. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this before, but a quick synopsis is one finger front brake with the ABS off gives us fantastic control and traction. But the traction could change simply because you're not leaning back far enough. If you have more weight on top of the front tire, the same degree of front brake application with one finger could cause it to lock up, skid, and you fall off. You'll still get down the hill, but you may not be on your bike anymore, which is, that's very dangerous. And it's embarrassing if you're demoing that, Jim, which has happened to me before. I rolled to a couple of somersault stop stood up and I thought, well, you know, everybody's mouth's open. (laughs) How am I going to handle this? So I tried humor. I said, is there any questions? (laughs) It was extremely hard to get those people up that hill because, you know. Yeah, they just watched the instructor tumble down it. (laughs) Yeah, what an idiot. (laughs) So what we did is went to a very, very small hill and got their confidence back up and comfortable with it and then went back to the hill I'd crashed on (laughs) and I went down and showed how to do it properly but I think it was because I didn't lean back far enough the front tire got too much traction because my weight was forward and it locked up and spun out slid out oh wow so coming down a hill weight is back way back and, and again, trying trying to balance over the pegs, yeah. right? That's, you, that's what you're doing. And it's almost, um, well, it's very natural feeling when you're doing it. Yes. And as a matter of fact, if you were to lean forward going up the hill too much and lean on the handlebars, that doesn't feel comfortable. Certainly not after you're, you've been riding for a while. That the, the extra weight on your arms and everything, that it's completely uncomfortable. So you automatically pull back to that balance point. Yes. So that's a, I'm glad you mentioned that concept because I think that's really important to remember. And your positioning when standing can help you get better traction. If you're going up the hill and the back wheel is light, it's spinning now because it's Mm -hmm. loose terrain. If you just stick your butt back a bit, that added percentage of weight will help push the suspension down and give the tire better bite. That could be the difference of getting up the hill or not. 
Right. Uh, so standing up, going through mud puddles, it's the exact same positioning as going down a steep hill because we don't want more weight on the, the traction part of the front tire because it's so greasy. If you have too much weight, it'll break loose. Where if your weight is back, it'll kind of skim over the loose stuff and it doesn't wipe you out. Mm -hmm. So you'll see riders going through big puddles. They're crouched with their butt way at the back of the seat, loose grip on the bars, covering the clutch, and they go in just with enough momentum to get through. You don't want to blast through there. Well, that's great. Now, as always, we always finish up with some homework or just some home practice that you can do on your own. Obviously, it's better to get instruction for anything that we talk about on here. It's a, just a much faster learning curve. You, you become much more proficient in a much shorter period of time and sort of go through the the, the paces much quicker. Um, but but meanwhile, even, even if you're planning to do that or in the meantime, like well, until you sign up for your course or even afterwards, I know you have some some personal practice that they can do on their own. What is that? Well, you could start in the garage, as we were talking about. If your bike's got a center stand, great. If not, you can do this on the side stand. Just be careful where the side stand is mounted to the bike. It may not be engineered to hold your body weight up in addition to the motorcycle. I think we talked about that before, Jim. Yeah, we did. And, and you mentioned that if it's on the, if it's cast into the engine, yeah. don't do it, right? Um, I have a couple of buddies that emailed me after listening to your podcast about the pivot turn we talked about. And, mm -hmm. and they had Pan Americas and they said they still do it carefully with that bike, but just be very, very careful if the side stand is mounted into the left crankcase, because that it could strain it, and then you'll get some cracks and oil leaks, which is not good. Yeah, and then and you said Pan America there. That's because that bike is known to yeah. be cast into the engine, which is odd, yeah. but but true. That's how they have it set up. And casts tends to be brittle, yes. so it, it'll tend to crack off. Whereas regular metal, I'm trying to think of the name. What do you call it? Like cold rolled steel, yes. for instance, that's on your frame that will bend before, like several times before oh, yeah. it cracks, but, but cast is not so forgiving. But um, regardless of the stand you have, practice standing up in the garage, that energy conservation one first. So you get in a position, butt back a little bit, tiny bend in the knees, relaxed grip. Feel what it feels like with just two fingers resting on top of the lever. You don't need all, all your digits because you're more likely to white knuckle, create arm pump, which increases fatigue. Your body's worn out faster because you're hanging on too tight. That's reduced with less fingers on the levers. That's one of the advantages. Then practice moving around on the bike. So lean off to the left and right, maintaining balance to the point where you don't fall off. Then, and it'll sound goofy, but with the bike not even running, it's on a stand of some kind. Take your, while you're standing, take your right boot, swing it backwards, and move your whole leg, lean to the left, and bring your right leg behind your left foot on the foot peg. 
Doesn't hang on a second. Doesn't hang on that a second. I don't goofy. have a, <laughs> I don't have a clue what you just described. Well, basically, you start that again. You're standing up with just your left boot on the left foot peg, and your right leg is behind your left boot. So your whole body's on the left side of the motorcycle. I see what you're saying. Other than yeah. your right hand, which is on the throttle. And stand there, move around, get comfortable. Now, are you talking about the bike on the stand at this point? You're yeah. talking about riding. Okay, on yeah. the stand. because it's going to segue into riding. But if you ask someone that's never done this, okay, yeah, you're an accomplished street rider. Now we want you to stand up with only one foot on the peg, move your whole body around to the left. That's yeah, going to be saying, a right. possible so, crash. So get used to the actual maneuver before you're riding exactly. along and trying it. Yeah. So okay. the practice is do this, and there's a real rationale we'll explain later for doing this. It's fantastic practice. Do that in the garage or in the driveway before you start the bike up. Then, if you want, put your right foot on the right peg, and your left boots behind your right foot. So your whole body, other than your clutch hand, is now on the right-hand side of the bike. Tilt it mm -hmm. around a little. Get The more comfortable you are when the, you're out of balance and you can recover, the better rider you'll be in off-road hard situations. Let's say you're traveling on a cambered slope and you're crossing the face of the hill. One handlebar is higher than the other side of the handlebar, isn't it? You've got mm -hmm. to be able to adjust your body positioning to stay balanced on that bike. Because the bike isn't straight up and down now. It's on a big angle because of the terrain. Mm -hmm. So balance is absolutely key when standing. Now, you're out riding around in your practice field, not downtown wherever you live. Practice standing up in that energy conservation position, you know, straighter legs that we talked about. You could have a couple of four by four posts or small logs and try riding over them, but switch your body position to the tiger position. Bent knees, elbows up, loose grip, eyes looking past the obstacle and just bump over it. You don't need throttle or you don't need to preload the suspension for little short obstacles. So get comfortable standing, riding over top of stuff. Then try riding along, standing up. Try some peg steering, which we've talked about that before, Jim. But if people just tuned in, if you lean heavily on your right foot, as you're riding along standing up, your bike is going to turn to the right. So practice, you could put some pylons down, three yards apart, three meters apart, zig and zag between the pylons or whatever you use as a pylon, practice your peg steering while standing. Then get back to that thing we talked about in the garage. As you're riding along in first gear, two fingers covering the clutch, swing your right leg all the way around so that your whole body is on the left side of the motorcycle and you only have the left boot on the left foot peg. That's stage one of what we call the enduro warm-up. 
Then it's a little more complicated. You know what I could do, Jim, is I could get uh, one of the guys to shoot a little video of this stage two, because it's very hard to explain over the radio, but I'll try. Okay. Stage two, yeah. you're riding along, standing up with just one boot on the foot peg, and your whole body is on that side of the bike. Let's say it's the left. Then what you're going to do is sit down and dangle both boots off to the side of the bike, and you're still riding around. So you're sitting side saddle, kind of like ladies used to ride on English saddles in the old days. That's what I was thinking, yeah. yeah. And then what you do is you put your right boot down on top of the left peg and stand back up. So now your left boot is dangling off into space and you're balancing the motorcycle with only the opposite foot on the peg right foot on the left peg, standing up. So you're kind of creating this V shape. And again, you're practicing your balance. And every now and then what you could do is step down and dab just for a second with the left boot as you're riding along. Then you stand up, sit back down on the seat, dangle both feet off to the side, Lift your right leg out of the way and replace your left boot on the left peg. Stand up, swing the right leg back around, and now you're riding normally with proper feet on the proper pegs. That's a stage two enduro warm-up, we call it. The only other thing we do is some riding with one hand. The clutch hand is either behind your back or out to the left of the clutch side of the handlebar. You go through pylons or something? Yeah, mostly just riding around, do some big circles, see if you're comfortable enough. And that forces you to have a good squeeze on the bike, a good perch. And all of it enhances your confidence because your balance is enhanced. And that really helps you become a better rider. Now, of course, you need a fairly big open area where you can you know, sort of move around, veer side to side even. Yes. I prefer grass or gravel. Uh, you know, if something goes wrong, you're in a shopping mall paved parking yeah. lot, and you're going to scratch up your bike, maybe get hurt because you're landing on pavement. And it's very rare that we have customers fall during this. If you try it in stages, um, We've talked before, Jim, a segue, the, that skill we just talked about, it leads into the Roy Rogers where, you know, you're not that tall. Your legs aren't that long. You can move off by starting with the left foot on the left peg. The bike's in gear at a stop. Your right foot's on the ground. As you let go of the clutch with lots of gas but slow clutch, as soon as the bike starts to pull away, take your right foot off the ground and you ride for a couple of seconds standing up with only your left boot on the left peg. Your right leg is dangling behind you. Then you just swing it around the bike, put it on the right peg, sit down or continue standing. That's the Roy Rogers. Now, to stop, 
you've got to very smoothly pull in the clutch, maybe a little gentle front finger or one finger front brake, and you step down with your right boot only. That takes balance and good clutch control. Now, for that exercise that you just went through a minute ago, and you're saying to change your, your feet around, put it on different pegs, et cetera, what speed are you, are you going at that point? Oh, about 100. No, <laughs> I would say a wobble speed we talk about is below 10 kilometers an hour, six miles an hour. Most people will struggle going in a controlled, balanced, straight line below six miles per hour, 10 kilometers an hour. So if you're doing 15, this exercise is easier because the bike, you know what, you could jump off. It would go straight for quite a ways Mm -hmm. before it started to wobble. And crash. Yeah. Oh, would it ever. Uh, The analogy we talk about is the spinning top. I don't even know if they sell them anymore. Do kids know what we're talking about, Jim? I have no idea if they sell them anymore. You know, you would wrap string around this top and then pull and it rotates. And the physics says that it's creating a gyroscopic procession. And it'll stay perfectly revolving until the RPM slackens, then it wobbles and falls. So the speed to practice on, I'm so glad you mentioned speed because that's really, if you try doing it at five miles an hour, the bike is very, very difficult. It's really hard. The Mm -hmm. bike is very wobbly. So that's why we uh, recommend, you know, get your speed up to about 15 before you start goofing around like this. And the other thing I just want to mention is you, you gave us two positions then for standing. One is the energy conservation with your legs locked. The other one is the tiger stance or what some people call the attack position, but that more crouched position. Those are our two standing positions. Yes. Okay. That's great, Clinton. Well, once again, fantastic. Always fun to sit and learn with you. Thank you very much. Perfect. Okay, Jim. I was speaking with Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. Their website is smartadventures.ca. Now, we've got a bunch of photos and videos in the show notes that Clinton did just for this episode, just for us. Drop by the website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on the show notes to see these. He did a great job at adding some visuals to what he was saying. You'd like to see the shifter, the brake levers that he talked about. They're in there. The riding positions, uphill, downhill. The legs swung over the, the one side of the bike, the same side of the bike, so two legs on one side. All that in the show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, 
that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course you. Thank you very much for coming and listening to the show. I hope you got something from today. Maybe you have to go back and listen to it again, maybe a couple of times, to pick up everything that Clinton was saying, but he's got some great stuff in there. And hopefully you're going to get out there and make yourself a better rider. I mean, there's nothing better than increasing your riding skills, I think, anyway. I think that's part of what makes riding so exciting. Well, now it's time to get out there and ride your bike and hopefully try some of these skills if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Oh, and, and by the way, if you're not doing it already, this show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. So drop our website, adventureriderradio.com and click on support. If you're not doing that already, we'd love to get you as a monthly support. It really doesn't take very much. Like a small amount of money per person really makes a huge difference for us and it allows us to do more things. So if you can do it, you know, I'd really appreciate it. But the other thing you could do is give us a five-star review wherever you're, you're hearing your podcast and share it with others. Share it on social media. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. My name is Jim Martin. Talk to you next week. Hi, this is Simon Thomas and Lisa Jarvis from To Ride the World, and you are listening to Adventure, Adventure Rider, Rider Radio. Radio.